Welcome back to Investing Experts Podcast. I'm your host, Daniel Snyder, and we are joined today by Beth Kendig and Knox Ridley from Tech Insider Network. And man, do we cover a lot. We talk about Netflix, what the upcoming earnings might look like. We get their entire market overview outlook for the year. And not to mention, we also talk a little bit about cloud infrastructure stocks and what to expect with their earnings coming up. Just a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast should not be considered investment advice. At times, myself or the guest, my own position in the companies mentioned. But this is for entertainment purposes only, and you should seek advice from a licensed professional before investing. And lastly, if you enjoy this episode, please do us a favor and leave a rating and review on your favorite podcasting app. Now, without further ado, let's get into the episode with Beth and Knox. All right, Beth Knox, it's so great to have you on the program today. Thank you for taking the time to join us. Good to be here. Thanks, Daniel. Yeah, good to be here. So want to dive in because you have a call that completely has blown me away. Um, and I think our audience by now has seen the title of the episode. They know what it's all about. We've got to talk about Netflix because this seems to be the story of the roller coaster of this last year. Obviously, we saw what was going on with Ackman's position, the subscriber miss, the freak out throughout 2022, and now the constant climb back going on. Um, just a little background, though. So your Netflix first position you entered was towards the end of August, and it's up 47.6% currently. And then you scaled in another in November. So I've got to ask you, how did you know? Yeah, that's a great question. I it was, it, you know, I, I'll go into uh, how we picked the stock and Knox can talk to about talk to you about the timing of the entries. But um, what I can say is it's very bold around the time that we went heavy into a consumer stock to be investing in a consumer facing company for sure consumer being so very weak and we had already said across the board expect consumer companies to uh decelerate uh we're not surprised at all by tesla for example because so many were decelerating we picked netflix out of the heap out of the huge pile uh for really three reasons one is uh the ability to accelerate revenue the ability to accelerate user growth and that comes from the ad tier and then the fact that it has a catalyst at all is pretty rare uh, across a consumer company right now. For example, Apple, what's their catalyst? We don't know yet. We don't see them uh, being able to bring in a really big, or what I should say, a sizable uh, new revenue stream uh, outside of the iPhone. I don't see a catalyst there. Just as an example, Netflix has a huge catalyst right now because of the ads here. And then when you add that to the free cash flow, which is greatly improving, uh, the Netflix that uh, most public investors have come to know uh, anyone watching the things is not the Netflix of today. Netflix has changed quite a bit on its free cash flow margin. Uh, it's it, anyone covering the stock or knowing the stock remembers probably that in 2019 it was uh, losing three billion dollars uh, in cash, uh, and that was uh, a substantial amount for a Fang because Fangs are known for their strong bottom line margins. Uh, now, Netflix is 1 billion positive free cash flow this year and is slated to grow substantially in free cash flow next year. Those are the words from management. I assume that means somewhere around 2 to 3 billion next year. That's my best guess. And so that's an entirely different Netflix than what we've known before with the idea that the ad tier could potentially gain some traction. Uh, what we're looking for on traction from Netflix is when they cut off the 100 million password uh, sharing accounts. There's 100 million people sharing passwords. They're testing and planning to cut those people off. 
we feel there will be uh, maybe single percentage, uh, maybe very low double uh, percentage that will convert to the ad tier. And so that would be a that would be a boon for Netflix and their subscriber base. Yeah, not to mention, I think management also came out and said that they're watching their expenses on what they're spending for the, the production of content, right? Their, their bread and butter, which they have to continue to spend on. But we also saw news coming out. I mean, they're still investing in, in new film studios now up in the Northeast in the United States. Um, but to go over to the timing aspect, which you mentioned when starting the position, Knox, let me turn to you. What were kind of the, the signals? How did you guys know that now was the time back in August to pull the initial trigger? Uh, and where do you see we, we go from here? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I mean, there was, you know, you, if you're paying attention, you're noticing that there is a, a seismic rotation occurring within the markets right now. Um, just for example, uh, the Dow Jones Industrial Average, the boring Dow is, you know, 15% off its low and the exciting NASDAQ 100 is about 7% off its low. And so whenever, you know, what, what we're seeing is we've been trained for 12 years to wherever the things go, the market goes. And that's just not the case anymore. Like there is a rotation. There is uh, value names that look like they're setting up for new highs where many of the FANG stocks do not look like they're setting up for new highs right now. Um, and just to kind of show you the weakness, uh, the market bottom on October 13th and every single thing continued lower from there, except Netflix. And in fact, Netflix actually bottomed in May of 2022. And think about that. Think about the volatility we saw in September and, and, uh, and August, uh, all the way into October. I mean, that was some really strong volatility and Netflix did not make a new low. It kept making higher lows. And you got to pay attention to that. The market was telling us that, you know, this this stock's valuation was too low. Like Beth talked about, it had a catalyst built into it. And so to me, to disregard all of tech would just be um, uh, not a good plan, not a good strategy, because you have stocks like Netflix, and there are a few out there that bottomed way before in the market. They bottomed before a lot of these value stocks that are leading right now, and they're, they're up uh, way more than a lot of these leading value stocks off of their lows. And so because of that, that, that pattern, it had us uh, you know, really paying attention to it. We identified the catalyst. And then we just started doing just some technical analysis, identifying what structure is probably tracing. And we bought with it. We were targeted to low, which is what we usually do. We usually will say, this is the target box we're looking for. We tell over our members that, and whenever it hits there, you'll see us buy there. So we targeted it beforehand. We had the pattern correctly, and we ended up buying it at a really good price. Yeah, I just want to take a quick second, since we're diving in so quickly into all of this, to mention that uh, while we're recording this episode, it is Wednesday, January 11th. Uh, we have the Seeking Alpha Authors grade as a hold. Wall Street analysts have a buy on Netflix and the Seeking Alpha Quant system has a hold as well. And what's interesting to me is if you dive into the Wall Street analysts, it seems like the the average you know price target is 305 right now a share, but the highest is 405. I mean, Beth, it almost sounds like analysts aren't really seeing the value within this ad tier and the weakening dollar and this rollout of what's to come. I mean, do you, with earnings being, I think it's next week, January 19th, right? Are, are, we, are we expecting a beat and raise and then all the analysts coming out saying that we're wrong? What's the what's the mindset there? That's a great question. And Knox can tell you how we're handling our position going into earnings. But what I will say is that uh, as an anal fundamental analyst who's been uh, pretty keen on the stock, I would say Q2 is more important to me. Uh, the 100 million password sharing has not been cut off yet. 
So I'm not expecting anything at all from the ad tier. Uh, so this is going to be one of those where we use technicals uh, to make sure that we're basically doing some risk management throughout Q1 with wanting to have uh, full exposure for Q2. I, I really expect Q2 to be when this story is better understood timing wise. And, I, and it's really important to understand timing, obviously, because macro and tech and growth and consumer are all just so uh, shaky in general. So timing is a big deal. And I would say Q2 is when we're hoping to be locked and loaded. Do you have any worry though about these discussions and talks about a global recession going on? Because I know Netflix strategy is they're trying to expand their international market or is that more favorable for this ad tier? That's where I would say that it should be a stronger consumer play because it's not very expensive. It offers uh, great value. Obviously, you can stay home a lot with whatever it is, whatever your tier is, 10 bucks, 15 bucks. You stay home and it's all you can view. So as far as uh, consumer purchase goes, um, we don't believe Netflix. It was truly saturated coming out of COVID. We, I believe that was a pull forward. and so given that the Netflix that we know has also um, always been the number one on engagement. So no matter what company has launched a competing app, Disney, HBO, we've heard it all, right? Like anyone covering Netflix, Disney is going to be the end of Netflix, et cetera, et cetera. Nobody has touched Netflix's market share on engagement. And in fact, most recently around the time we entered, they went up which is incredibly hard right now with so many streaming apps online, they went from 6.6% of the market to 7.7. So not only are they the number one streaming app, they're in the lead by wide margin and they're continuing to take market share. That's just pure Nielsen. Um, That's not necessarily me saying, you know, that means there's going to be a big subscriber beat. Uh, I'm more concerned about Q2 and I like to get in early because I think institutional analysts and others are going to be able to model this pretty well once we start to see uh, enough traction from the ad tier. And another another thing I can add to that is, you know, markets are always forward looking, right? Back in May, whenever Netflix bottomed, no one was really fully aware of the catalyst involved, but the market was fully keen that the valuation at the time was, was relatively absurd. And so uh, it doesn't mean that Netflix is just gonna go to the moon from here. I mean, we're expecting, uh, deeper pullbacks uh, probably relatively soon and later in 2023. But uh, we do believe that a, a major low was struck in 2022 with Netflix. And so that's a position where it's as long as the catalyst remains intact, as Beth was talking about, we have our criteria of what would have us bail on this thesis, uh, both technically as, and especially fundamentally, as long as it remains intact, we don't want to get too cute with it. You know, we may we may take some gains like we actually trimmed uh, some today uh, and took some really nice gains today just to raise a little bit of cash for expectations of a lower price relatively soon. But we want to, you know, as long as that catalyst is involved, we, you know, and, and still intact, you know, we're, we're, we're likely going to uh, not get too uh, creative with that position. And I love what you're talking. So you're talking about the institutional investors and how they kind of lag a little bit, even though they're trying to look forward. But just yesterday, Goldman Sachs came out and I mean, they pretty much just said, they're boosting estimates for Netflix to account for a weaker dollar, but it's still keeping its sell rating. It's still keeping its sell rating on the stock. So, I mean, is there, but it, is their catalyst not the same as your catalyst? I feel like there's a kind of a split down Wall Street right now, saying, "Look, their free cash flow is amazing right now, but can that be sustained 
they're laying off, cutting expenses, right? Management's doing what they know to do best and their content is still key. I mean, people still rave about Netflix content all across social media. I mean, they definitely have a powerhouse brand name. And I'm wondering if people aren't understanding what this password sharing cutoff could actually turn into within revenue dollars. For sure. I would say I'm very comfortable going against institutional analyst ratings with tech companies. Uh, I would say that for most of our wins, we do. And that's because by the time that they say buy, I would say Knox is usually looking to take gains and move to the sidelines or, you know, basically just trim the position because by the time that, you know, smart money lets everyone else know it's kind of too late. Um, so I'm pretty comfortable uh, going against even a Goldman Sachs analyst, uh, not saying I'll be right, but just saying more often times than not, we are uh, trying to be earlier than them. And then, uh, you know, there's a couple of things too. I just want to add, since we're on the topic of Netflix reporting next week, one is my understanding is they're actually removing subscriber numbers from their report and they're just going to do revenue, obviously whatever normal gap and non-gap, but then the other thing is they, um, even if this is what I've seen the trend and we can talk about earnings trends, but even if let's say revenue is a little soft or we have, you know, depending on FX headwinds or tailwinds in this case, uh, the, the free cash flow guide could potentially prop this stock up, um, in the earnings because, the management team should be giving more clarity around what they meant when they said we have 1 billion free cash flow this year uh, and we will substantially increase it next year. We should start to hear a little bit more granular detail on what that means. And if that's a notable number, that could be enough to create an earnings beat as well. And I don't want to underestimate the power of a FANG creating more cash when some of them are going the opposite direction. Obviously, it doesn't have near the margin that, you know, something like Meta does, but Meta uh, having contracting margins uh, is usually a concern, generally speaking. And with Netflix having expanding, that's usually a good thing. So if they're going to expand year over year on free cash flow, the market will continually see Netflix in a different light. I love and that you brought that up too. Sorry to, to interrupt real quick. I mean, yeah. gross profit margin on Netflix right now is that 39.6% kind of level, but also what you're talking about with the free cash flow. I mean, the, the trailing 12 months free cash flow for Netflix is $16.8 billion. They've definitely got something right. Knox, go ahead. What were you going to say? I, you know, we also, I, I disagree uh, pretty strongly that FX headwinds will be an issue in 2023. I mean, you know, just Basic charting will show you um, the dollar has put in a, a pretty major top. We may see a corrective balance, which I think is lining up with some weakness in equities over the next month or so. Uh, but I mean, just look at the the Euro USD pair. I mean, it's in a 45 degree uptrend for the first time in quite a long time. So I, I we think that that ultimately was a was a, was a hindrance in 2022. Couldn't act like a boon in 2023 for equities. Yeah, that's a great point as well. And I think, uh, Beth, maybe you know this off the top of your head. I think, isn't the password sharing crackdown already happening in South America? I mean, we're talking about dollar and and they're testing this right now. And of course, U.S. dollar pulling back from that self-fulfilling prophecy. Central banks around the world are increasing interest rates as well. Um, 
it sounds like this is kind of brewing up to be a perfect storm, even if there is a recession, that Netflix is almost re- recession proof. Exactly. I, I, I agree there. We could have a perfect storm. So we did see some negative headlines that Netflix was returning ad dollars in Q4. Um, that was the ad tier being rolled out and tested and being rolled out before the password sharing was being cut off. So again, like what you're saying, the perfect storm for, in my opinion, would be once the ad tier has been tested and it's rolled out you know, pretty much around most of the top um, ge- geographic areas, geos. And then the other would be to cut off password sharing in those geos at the same time. Um, that's the combination we want. But I do believe it will take Q1 for that. And being an early report in the earnings calendar, Netflix has a little bit of a disadvantage in this case because they don't really have Q1 uh, results yet from some of this testing in order to talk about it next week, being so early in the quarter. Let's just talk last question on Netflix for you real quick as well. Uh, So the revenue growth year over year for Netflix most recently was only 9.9%. I mean, does that worry you at all? Or you think that... uh, I mean, they've risen, they've risen prices of their subscription, I think, like 10 times over the last decade. I mean, would you anticipate seeing that happen again right now? Or is that kind of maybe a further down the line play? Another great question. I guess what I would say is uh, we did this with NVIDIA, um, where what we were looking for is a bottom. Um, and what we're looking for is enough of a catalyst to create that bottom, because these are mega cap, large cap companies. These companies are not going out of business. Um so we were very keen to find quality companies not going out of business, likely to execute well, strong management teams that are at steep, steep discounts. I mean, you know, a lot of people are in shock and they're in panic over last year. I think the appropriate psychology around this is what's on sale that may never be this deep of a discount again, at least not for the foreseeable future. What are some of these quality companies that have zero bankruptcy risk, that have zero, um, you know, very low, I should put, uh, execution risk? And then, and and why not look at those for, you know, those catalysts and those ability to accelerate off the bottom? So what I'm saying is that these revenue estimates probably do not take into account anything with the ad tier. And it is speculative at this time as to how well the ad tier will do, for sure. But is it, how speculative is it when we're dealing with the number one media company of all time? No competitor has ever dethroned Netflix. In fact, it's only getting stronger. And uh, they have 100 million people in their pocket that may be able to be monetized. Again, looking for low single digit, uh, I mean, high single digit, low double digit is still going to be, a, 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 it's still going to make for a good 2023 and 2024. And if I could add something to that is, you, you know, regarding the relatively low top line growth, you got to take a look at what the market is favoring right now. There's been a genuine sea change, you know, grow at any pace doesn't work anymore. A lot of your high beta, high flyers, high growers are continuing to make new lows even today. And then you look at, you know, some of your blue chip stocks in Europe, for example, and Europe has the same problems we have, plus an energy crisis. Uh, and they're making new highs. And so there is a true uh, divergence on what the market really wants right now. And it's not necessarily grow your revenue uh, at a high pace. It's more about consistent profitability, safety, defensive nature, cash flow. That's what the market is really favoring right now, as opposed to like your top line grow at any cost. I love that. I love that viewpoint. And uh, so let's go ahead and 
take a step back from Netflix for a little bit. And let's maybe talk about what you guys are thinking for the overall market for either the first half of this year or the full year. Um, Knox, why don't you kind of, if you don't mind, just kind of share with us what you're kind of considering going into 2023. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very rare to see um, two years in a row of negative returns in the S&P 500. It doesn't mean it won't happen, but it's very rare. Um, uh, however, I think the odds of a recession are relatively high. We're seeing the yield curve more inverted than any time. You have to go back you know, decades to see it this inverted. Uh, we're seeing manufacturing in a contraction. Uh, services are, are, I think they came in at 50, they're very neutral, but the new orders and services are in a contraction, which really pretends you know, future growth. Um, and so we're heading, we're in a late cycle uh, regime. I mean, people were talking about the jobs report being great. It's like, no, it really wasn't great. If you look under the hood, the total hours work actually uh, has been in decline, which once again is, uh, you know, characteristic of the late stage, late cycle uh, scenario. And also temporary jobs fell 35,000 in December. That's the fifth month in a row. And that is very characteristic, characteristic of the late cycle uh, situation that we're in. So, um, yeah, we do believe a recession is likely. Um, however, this is the most televised recession, arguably, in history. Everybody knows about it. Every article out there is what to own a recession, how to prepare for it. I think you're seeing a lot of people probably preparing for it prematurely. Um, it's one thing to make the right macro call. It's the other thing to make the right market call. And sometimes they don't always link up. And a good example is 2019. I mean, the, the, the macroeconomics were horrible. They continue to decline. We actually went into a contraction in 2019, and the market just continued to power higher. It didn't make any sense. Uh, and so we see those moments where markets don't make sense in relation to what the macro uh, is telling us. And so um, we're not necessarily preparing for the recession right now. Our viewpoint is that we're probably going to see some volatility um, and to early, you know, late Q1, February, March. And we believe that will set up as a pretty tremendous buying opportunity. Like I said, there's been a rotation into value. So the Dow Jones is an index to track. It's not the NASDAQ 100. You can see the NASDAQ 100 make a new low. That doesn't matter to me. What matters to me is, is the Dow going to hold its October low? And as long as that happens, even if the S&P 500 makes a new low, as long as that Dow holds that low, we see uh, any volatility in Q1 as a tremendous buying opportunity because we expect Q2 and Q3 to be you know, a gangbuster uptrend. Uh, and when you start getting into later 2023, that's when we're really going to start kind of preparing for this the coming recession. We'll have a better idea of how deep it might be. Um, now, right now, you're seeing a little bit of a bifurcation. You know, businesses are much better capitalized than the U.S. consumer. The U.S. consumer is in a really bad spot right now. You know, 21 months in a row of real wages being negative, savings rate at 2.3%. You know, that's not very good. And so you get another six months of that, that's going to filter into uh, businesses. You know, so anyway, that's our, that's our expectation. We think preparing for the recession right now is premature. We don't think we, we do think we're going to see some volatility, but it's likely going to be a pullback in a bigger uptrend uh, that should last through, you know, probably fall of 2023. There is a lot to unpack there. Um, I mean, you brought up a lot of good points. I mean, first off, you know, you're talking about, say, the inversion of the bond yield curve, right? And I, I think it was just the other day I saw Jeffrey Gunlock, who was out saying, look, the bond market has never gotten this wrong. Like the bond market is telling you a recession is coming, recession is coming, even though the Federal Reserve over here is saying we've got this soft landing, trust us, the whole thing. But we've also heard time and time again, interest rates have to be higher for longer, right? Higher for longer. Get them, get them up, park them, let them stay. 
wait for all of this well-capitalized businesses that took on all of these, you know, zero interest, you know, close to zero interest, pretty much debt over the last few years to, to kind of write out a few years of cash flow expenses, et cetera. I mean, they're going to have to start either re-raising debt, cut expenses. And, and so is that why there, is, in your view, is going to be a delayed recession is we're going to get the interest rates higher. We're going to park them. And then knowing that the savings rate for consumers is low, they're going to start to feel the squeeze and then businesses will ultimately start to feel the squeeze. And that's why the delay effect is there. Yeah. I mean, the, you know, anticipating a recession is, is uh, very complicated and the timing of one is even more complicated. Um, yes. The bond market has, has, has a, a near perfect, I mean, I mean, just take, you know, the, the, the two 10 year uh, yield curve, it's predicted every single recession going back to the fifties. It had two false positives, but then you take the uh, three month and 10 year and it has predicted every single recession perfectly. And so you take that track record and then compare it to the Fed's track record, which is just, um, I think, deplorable, uh, I, I think is, is probably a, a nice way of putting it. I think they've been wrong on everything they've said. <laughs> Rarely do they get it right. I always would trust the bond market. But I will say this one thing, and this is something that really has me uh, intrigued is this is the first bear market that I could find where the equity market led the bond market. Usually the bond market is leading the equity market by about 24 months to you know a year and a half to two years before the equity market gets the picture. But this time around, the equity market led the bond market. And that is that is a strange anomaly. You know, and so there have been nothing but anomalies since the COVID low. I mean, on a macro scale, on an economic scale, we have seen just anomaly after anomaly. And so, you know, if you would have told me what are the odds of the equity market would leave the bond market close to zero, but it happened, you know. And so for that reason, you know, anticipating and building a really well thought out thesis on the macro um, could be great. But if price disagrees with you, that's what matters to me more, which is why we really pay a lot more attention to price action. Um, and so that's what really, uh, you know, has, is guiding us. And I'll say this last thing in terms of price action. If you just look at global markets, I mean, look at like, I'll just name a few of them, Canada, Europe, Italy, France, Germany, Australia, and probably Japan, all of them are suggesting that they want to go to new highs that the uptrend from the COVID low in their markets is not completely over. And so if that's true, what does that mean for U.S. markets? That means that they're setting up as well for maybe a lower high, but a bigger uptrend than most people are anticipating right now. And so that's kind of guiding our, our guidance over the intermediate term right now. And I also, I heard somebody say the other day, which is I think worth mentioning is, is you're talking about the anomaly, the anomaly of the bond market and what's going on right now. And it's because the Fed speakers are speaking more than ever, right? They're not letting yeah. the bond market have any doubt of what's going to happen. They're saying, hey, this is what we're going to do. And we're going to show you that we're going to do it. And now the bond market believes it. So I want to go ahead and take a second, though, and transition a little bit over into our upcoming earnings, right? We've got tech earnings coming down the runway. And I mean, knowing how interest rates can affect tech companies, we've seen all the layoff announcement. We see the tech sector getting hit pretty hard. And obviously, you guys run Tech Insider Network. So I'm kind of like, very curious about what you guys are expecting for the upcoming earnings. Um, 
do you guys want to kind of give any overview of maybe cloud, maybe a name like Microsoft? I mean, think about your Microsoft call, right? You told people to stay in Microsoft back when everybody was saying, get out of Microsoft. And now we're hearing Microsoft chatter about AI and chat, the open AI chat GBT and the investment there and stuff. I mean, it seems like there's still areas within the tech industry that are still worthwhile holding. I mean, we talked about Netflix earlier. Beth, maybe you have an idea of going into this earnings. What are you guys watching in particular? Yeah, I just real quick note on Microsoft before I go into the earnings is, you know, I get a lot of questions on that. We had, we've been covering a long time on our premium site that this is a big AI powerhouse and um, it's a strong buy on any weakness. But I would almost, I think a lot of people are thinking open AI is making Microsoft an AI stock, which I would just encourage anyone listening that Microsoft has a large, long, long runway on AI. And this is one of many things that, uh, Microsoft will be backing or will be bringing to market in the AI ML world. So, um, you know, I see Microsoft as, you know, definitely a top three AI pick. And I would say that uh, I think a lot of people are thinking open this investment and backing of open AI is what makes Microsoft a strong AI choice. It's not. Microsoft has been inherently a strong AI choice for a long time. And this is one example of it. So I just want to throw that out there um, because there's all kinds of AI going on there and we write about it. Anyways, um, long story short about earnings, I would say in May, I think it was, I put out something called compartmentalizing cloud stocks. And it was really in that month that Tech Insider Network completely changed our portfolio. It took a little bit of time, but uh, our returns are much better this year. We're gonna we're actually audited and we wait for have an auditor look at them. And when we put them out, they're they're better than other all tech portfolios because we were really tough on ourselves and we were like, listen, this isn't working anymore. Uh, this old way of investing in tech stocks is, is over. And uh, when cloud started to miss and go down 20, 30% after hours in May, I knew something big was going on because cloud is a is 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 a, almost like a it's a little darling within the industry because it's resilient, it drives it's deflationary, it drives down costs, increased productivity. It should have been the last most resilient piece within the tech industry in a recession. Um, why is cloud uh, been weak? Is because uh, it's not very cash efficient. There's uh, the bottom line is never is not very good. Very few companies that are cloud companies are gap profitable. Uh, I mean, I think I can count on one hand uh, those that have a strong growth rate above twenty percent that are gap profitable. Um, if they reach adjusted profitability, it's with a lot of stock-based compensation uh, packed in there. Uh, even with that said, many are not adjusted profitable either. Uh, and then free cash flow is another issue for these companies. So in general, uh, I would say not much has changed. The only thing that changes is that the market will kind of attempt to resume some confidence in these areas, and then it will pull the rug back out under for people. Um, so We've then, I'll just give you a little bit more information here. In the Q2 earnings, um, there were beats in cloud and there were they were raising guidance for Q3. What got our spidey senses up and we started to pull back from cloud around that time is that they were not pulling forward those beats for Q4 and fiscal year. They were keeping the fiscal year the same and they were beating on Q2 and raising guidance on Q3. That's a huge flag that Q4 was going to be weak. And if you look at some of the uh, graphs data that we sent you, um, I think they're included with this interview, um, you'll see that that indeed is what happened. In fact, Q4 
uh, sequential growth average across the top 10 best of breed averages 17% from Q3 to Q4. And um, now it's uh, 5%. So it's a 70% decline. This is actually a picture that Daniel is showing of how much of a deceleration we've seen across best of breed from Q uh, from last year's Q3 to Q4 to this year's. Um, it just takes one quick glance to see a slowdown is occurring. Now, so one thing we're looking for clearly is how strong this cloud. Um, we've felt it was safer to move to the sidelines to see how this plays out, um, which means we're happy to move back into cloud once it's set, once it gives us an acceleration. But we don't want to catch a falling knife. We don't want to predict a bottom when there's this much of a deceleration going on in a, in a sector that rarely has this level of deceleration, especially in Q4, which more times than not is the stronger quarter for these companies. It's by far the weakest. And uh, year over year, there's an obvious issue going on. Of course, this is probably being you know, driven by enterprise budgets. Enterprise budgets are being pulled back. Uh, we saw that with marketing and sale, uh, sales and marketing budgets from ad tech. So in general, uh, we're not sure where enterprise budgets will be this year, and we'd rather not gamble. So we're on the sidelines patiently waiting to see what that information gives us this quarter. So we are uh, on the sidelines primarily with cloud, except for Microsoft, really, and then one other cloud stock. And what we're looking for uh, in this or these earnings is kind of what we talked about with Netflix. Revenue growth is less important to us. What we want to see is margins expanding. And some revenue acceleration would be great. There's no doubt. But what has to be a, a must is margins cannot be contracting. Uh, that's what we're looking for uh, in a nutshell. And I think you could say this in a conversation and it sounds obvious and it sounds logical, but how many tech investors are holding companies in their portfolio that have really weak margins? Uh, I would say, I would say looking at most all tech portfolios, quite a few of them are just hodling. I wouldn't hodl. We stopped hodling and it's done us well to not hodl uh, anything that doesn't have really strong margins. Our entire portfolio is uh, either adjusted profitable, free cash flow positive, uh, and some double digits or higher um, across the board. Nox, I want to I want to give you a second to add on to that. But for anybody listening to the podcast, if you want to see the the chart that Beth was just referring to, head over to the Seeking Alpha author page for Investing Experts podcast. I'm going to make sure that we get these charts up on the article because I mean this shows Snowflake, Datadog, CrowdStrike, Bill Pay, MongoDB, Zscale. I mean you you this is a lot of great information. So check that out. So Nox, go ahead and uh, what what do you got to to give us on the add on for that? Yeah, I mean I think Beth covered it very well. And what I would what I would add is. Um, you know, one thing, you know, I've, I've been investing in markets since 2007. And the one thing I can, I can tell you definitively, anybody that's doing this for a long time is markets change, characteristics change, there's sea changes that are occurring. You know, we're seeing, um, you know, rates, the market, if you look at the volatility market as well, and how it's reacting with the equity market, it's suggesting that the market is getting okay with higher rates. You know, and we've been in zero rates for a very long time. And this led to some very interesting plays in high beta stocks. But all of a sudden, if you don't have to take the kind of risk you had to take uh, to get returns, and you can actually get a nice yield, and the market's telling you that it's okay with these higher yields, you know, that's a really significant sea change that one needs to pay attention to. And we're trying to pay attention to it. You know, and, it, and it's telling us, we've seen stocks go up significantly who have very low revenue growth. But like Beth talked about, there are other metrics 
that are uh, characteristic across the board that the market is now favoring. And so we're just, we're, we're pivoting with it. I love it. I love it. Before I let you guys go, I mean, I've taken way too much time from you. Uh, Beth, one follow-up question for you, because we're talking about cloud and especially clouded with uh, earnings coming up. And a few weeks back on this podcast, Austin Hankwitz and I were discussing about how we're seeing more companies want to rein in the number of cloud vendors that they're using and consolidating that. Do you have any thoughts or opinions? Is that kind of might what be might be happening here? I mean, with cybersecurity and packaging, and I mean, Datadog does that. So that's why I kind of ask. Yes, great question. Consolidation is a natural part of the tech hype cycle. It affects every large burgeoning emerging trend over time. So what happens is you have the startup uh the startup uh, culture, the startup uh, economy basically creates, let's say, thousands of companies. Um, let's say from that, you know, 50% go public, or I don't know what the percentage is, but let's just say a percentage of those go public. Some of them fail. Um, I mean, they say the failure rate of startups is 10%, but let's say we're talking cream of the crop, strong companies here, not mom and pop where there's only two people working. I'm talking like, you know, let's say they've gotten to series A at least or series B. Um, cream of the crop level startup. From there, you know, a large amount go public. From there, to be clear, it's not necessarily a goal to stay in business forever. That's, I mean, a, you know, the venture capitalists got their exit, the insiders got their exit, the public markets absorbed that, paid them off, and now uh, whether that company survives or not, nobody really cares and nobody really tracks that. Uh, we saw, you know, this is your. Um, your Yahoo type stuff. This is your um, Zynga. I mean, I don't know if uh, many people recall gaming. Gaming was surpassed Hollywood and there was huge consolidation that occurred. Massive amounts of gaming companies, um, large amounts, I should say, that had 100 plus employees went out of business through the consolidation period uh, process. Mobile apps. How many mobile apps have you put on your phone uh, when the iPhone first came out that are no longer uh you know, no longer valid and so are no longer even in business. So basically uh, the point that I'm making is cloud is next. It has to be because it's there in the hype cycle. Uh, there are for sure, I, I, I believe that we've run the numbers and there's into the hundreds is what uh, a corporate, large corporation uses uh, across all cloud tools, all cloud software. I mean, it's mind numbing uh, the amount of cloud tools that a very, I'm talking your top Fortune 500 companies will use. So it's it's just going to be easy to get rid of a lot of those because there's a ton of overlap. So I have actually made the statement that if you look at your best of breeds and you take the top 20 or 30, uh, some of those will not be in business. And how do you determine how many won't be? It depends on how deep the recession is. We're talking about on top of where mobile apps and ad tech went through a huge consolidation period when Facebook and Google dominated. Thousands of companies went out of business, literally thousands within a year or two. I don't think it's going to be quite that dismal um, or monopolized, I should say. But I do believe that, uh, you know, the public markets are going to see this consolidation. And out of the 30 top best of breed growth cloud companies, you should expect some of them not to be in business. Yeah, not to mention that every new vendor is a potential point in the security chain that might get hacked into. Right. And I think that's what we hear about, like the CTOs kind of freaking out about with cybersecurity. I remember a couple of months ago, was it when uh, or last year when the cybersecurity became a boom and you don't really hear 
so much about cybersecurity as much as we did at one point in time. So obviously, Beth Knox, thank you so much time for your time today. Uh, your analysis on Netflix and everything else that you're doing is amazing. I encourage everybody to go check you out on Tech Insider Network if they haven't already. Is there anything else you would like to say before we hop off here? I would just add that Tech Insider Network uh, offers real-time trade alerts. So everything we do is um, sent the day that we enter or exit. And then Knox actually has hedged up to 100% of the portfolio very successfully last year, many times. So we just offer a lot of risk management tools for tech, which I think is rare. And our allocations are very strategically chosen as well. And that has helped uh, us outperform. And it's because we put risk management in the driver's seat. And we also uh, offer macro analysis uh, on top of what guides our technical uh, decisions or our tech decisions. And the IO fund is incredible. I mean, as you mentioned, you get it audited. The proven track record is there. Highly encourage everybody to go check it out, read some of your analysis. All of that can be found on Seeking Alpha. Thanks again for your time today. And we'll talk again here soon. All right. Thank you. Take care. Thanks, Daniel. Just a reminder, everyone, if you enjoyed this episode, head over to your favorite podcasting app, give us a rating or review, and we'll see you next week with a new episode and a new guest.